Up World. Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You listen to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Today's episode is also the latest edition of Mailbag Monday. Yes, recorded on a Wednesday and posted on a Thursday, but that's just how it worked because of the playoffs. It is our weekly mailbag segment answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved, there are two ways to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Send me a question whenever you're thinking of it. It helps if you tag it as a mailbag question so I know that it's for the show. Or wait for Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting your questions. Respond to that tweet. I'll do my best to get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can email me, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com is the address, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Those are the two ways to do it. We do mailbag each and every week. This week it got moved. Typically I recorded on Mondays and posted on Tuesdays. This week with the game on Monday nights, uh, this it just made more sense to bump it. Uh, then I had an interview with DNVR's Harrison Wind, a view from the other side, a Denver beat writer. So Mailbag got bumped down the week a little bit, but I love Mailbag. I, I wasn't going to drop it this week. It's too much fun, and you all seem to enjoy it as well. So it just got it got pushed a little bit. The branding screwed up. It's no longer Mailbag Monday, but it's still here. So let's get into it. Our first question comes from Adam, who asks, Marty McFly pops back and lets you know the Blazers win in six. There are no injuries or earth-shattering box scores. In your mind, what must have happened for the Blazers to finish the series in six? In particular, is it more about what the Blazers did or what the Nuggets failed to do? As I told Adam in an email response, this is Doc Brown erasure. Uh, Listen, Marty McFly, he certainly helps out, um, but Doc Brown is the one who invented the time machine and, and for the most part pilots it, except for um, during emergency circumstances when our boy Marty McFly needs to do so. Uh, if you're a listener and you haven't seen the Back to the Future series and you don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> so, sorry, uh, Adam got me down this path and it's uh, weirdly one of my favorite uh, favorite trilogies of not very good movies. So what would Marty Mc, what would happen if Marty McFly tells me the Blazers win in six? Um, I think in general, it'd be more about what the Blazers were uh, able to limit the Nuggets do. Like it's, it's a little bit of both, but it would be if the Nuggets don't get the shooting performances from the other parts, then then that's that'll be the difference. Like I think the Blazers are going to be able to score. I'm not worried necessarily about the the Aaron Gordon defensive adjustment. I'm not worried about them sending more aggressive traps like they did to Dame in Game Two. Uh, both both adjustments. Worked in the second half, worked in the fourth quarter, but but the Blazers, the offense wasn't the problem. Like if Norm shoots better and is slightly more aggressive, the Blazers will end up scoring 115, 120 points. That's fine. It's more about the defense. And the, the Blazers have kind of showed how they're going to guard Jokic. Um, he was hyper, hyper, hyper efficient in game two. Uh, if They just need better Nurk, like better Nurk to slow down Jokic, and then they need to be able to fly around and prevent the shooters, you know, rest of the shooters making shots. That's Faku, that's... Austin Rivers, it's limiting Paul Millsap and and uh, Monty Morris. It's really can the Blazers slow down the uh, the Nuggets role players, you know, non non Michael Porter Jr. role players. I, I think that's that's the real key is what the Blazers what the Blazers would do if they're just if their defense is slightly more effective against uh, the Nuggets the Nuggets non Jokic players like that that'll be the key to the Blazers winning this series. That said, Jacob Gian Hawthorne asks, "You boldly predicted we would win the series in seven games." Following game two, you've been given the rare opportunity to go back in time and revise the house size bet you placed on betonline.ag. 
Do you still pick the Blazers in seven or do you revise your bet? And if so, to what? Uh, there's a lot in here. There's the house joke. There's the uh, our betting sponsor joke. There's a lot. Jacob G, you're a loyal listener, and thank you for your question and uh, hitting on all the <laughs> hitting on all of our small inside be- inside jokes here. Um, I think after two games, as sort of maybe a prisoner of the moment, I would revise my bet from Blazers and seven to Nuggets and seven. Um, I don't feel bad about picking the Blazers in seven. I thought the series was going to go a long way, but just how good Jokic has been and like how much I kind of see, like the Blazers is just so much of what they're doing is riding on how good Nurk can be. Like can Nurk hold his own against the league MVP? And I think maybe I was, um, maybe I was a little too bullish on that, but I mean, slightly, I mean, Nuggets in seven versus Blazers in seven is just a toss up. The Nuggets have home court advantage. So picking them to win game seven is not exactly super bold. Um, I don't, uh, you know, when you win, when teams win, you feel like they'll never lose. When they lose, you feel like they'll never win. I think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a prisoner of that moment. And, you know, whatever happens in game three, I'll probably be a prisoner of that moment as well. But if I had to revise my bet, um, my house sized bet on this one, I would probably shift it to nuggets in seven, just like seeing what it took the Blazers to win game one, like a really bad shooting night from Denver versus what it looked like when Denver had a, a really good shooting night in game two. But that also just might be the randomness of basketball that I'm getting caught up in, not just saying like, you know what, sometimes shots go in and they went in one game, they didn't in the other, like for both teams, right? Um, in either direction. So I think I'm adjusting it, but it might be foolish. Like I'm, 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 I might just, I should, probably should just stick to my guns, but too late now. Tom Cogswell at Thomas Cogswell on Twitter asks, is there a viable solution to slow down Nikola Jokic's scoring even by a small amount? You know, I talked about this in a in a previous pod, but I think it's I think it's worth sort of revisiting, right? Um, you know, what can they do? Because he's been so good. You know, thirty eight points on fifteen of twenty shooting in thirty minutes in game two. Like that's that's too much. Like you you know, part of the Blazers' game plan is let Jokic eat and then s- slow everyone else down. But it has to, he has to be slightly more more inefficient than that. Like uh, I don't I don't think he can shoot if he scores forty on seventy five percent shooting. I think I think the Blazers are cooked. So what could they do a little bit different. Uh, I like the idea of single guarding him almost exclusively because I think if you open up his ability to pass and you open up when you double, you open up space for cutters. Like I think, I think that makes the Nuggets even harder to guard. Um, but I think the way the way to um, the way to like slow him down a little bit was be would be slightly more selective in when to double team. So instead of say double team zero times. Uh, you know, you, you double team, you know, you, you single cover them hundred percent of the time. Say you single cover them 90%, 95% of the time. And those 5% you have smart doubles off of the non-shooters. So if the, if the Nuggets play uh, Shaq Harrison, you double off Shaq's man. Like that, that's who comes. Like, even if it, it's not the guy who, who specifically the person guarding Shaq doesn't double team, but you rotate. So it's Shaq you're leaving open or you rotate. So it's, it's Faku who they're leaving open. Um, Faku's a pretty good spot up jump shooter. So I don't love that. So maybe you do it against Austin rivers, but Austin rivers made his open threes. So like, I think you, I think the slight adjustment is guard him basically the way you do, but you know, uh, four to seven possessions a game, send a surprise late double team and try to time it well, send it with your best defenders, like send it with, with Robert Covington as that smart double team, um, you know, pinch in a little bit more and help off of those non-shooters, especially if Shaq Harrison gets to play, uh, sort of all of Marcus Howard's minutes moving forward in this series, which I think is fairly likely that they will do. Uh, there's, there's not, the Blazers don't have a good solution because they've, they, they, 
in some ways, like, and we'll talk about this a little later in the pod. There's some other questions about it. Like they've, it's, it's all on Nurk because when they've given Cantor the opportunity, he just hasn't been good at it. And then like you look at the rest of the roster, who else is big enough to guard a seven foot, 300 pounder? Like they're just, they don't, they don't have any other options. It, a lot of it weighs on Yusuf Nurkic and um, that's, that's a big ask for him. I mean, you're like, Hey, slow down the MVP. That's a big ask for anyone's a big ask for Nurk for sure. Next question comes from VCA at VCA on Twitter who asks, what do the Blazers starting three guards have to average in total points per game to win this series? 70? Well, VCA, through two games, they're averaging 71 and a half. Dame's averaging 38, CJ 21, and, and Norm 12 and a half. Um, I think even if you normalize that, like say you drop Dame down to 31 a game, you bump CJ up to 24 a game, and then uh, you have Norm scoring 16, like that That's that's gets you to about the same number. Uh, I think 70 is the right in the ballpark for what they need to win. Uh, offense wasn't their problem in game two. It was the fact that the Nuggets scored literally at it. Like they scored when Jokic was in the game. They scored, um, they scored when Jokic was out of the game. They scored with the bench. They scored with the starters, like whoever, whatever it was. Like the problem was defense. The problem is slowing the Nuggets down. It's just not getting killed by Paul Millsap and Monty Morris. Um, you want Norm to play better. And I think CJ can play better too. Like I think Norm can be more aggressive and hunt more shots, particularly as de- as the defenses get more aggressive on uh, on Dame, which they certainly will after his game two performance. You, you know, you, you, if if the ball gets to the middle of the court, Nurk makes the decision. He finds Norm. You've got to get downhill and be Norman Powell. Like you got to, he's got to make his threes. He's got to start making threes. He struggled from the outside in the series, but he's got to get downhill and be Norman Powell. Like um, he needs to be a little bit better. I think the overall like per game average will be about the same, like 70, 70 between 70 and 75, but how it's distributed will change the way the Nuggets have to guard the Blazers. If Norm is scoring 20 and CJA is 25, then it changes where the focus has to be. And then it allows Damian Lamont, Ollie Lillard senior to be what he is. And that is one of of the great scorers in the history of this, uh, really of the sport and certainly of the Trailblazers franchise. All right, let's come back in the second segment and answer more of your questions on this slightly misplaced mailbag Monday. But first, let's talk about rockauto.com. It's a family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. Shopping for car parts can be a hassle because you go to a store, you're, there's so many makes and models nowadays that the chances that they're carrying exactly what you need are relatively limited. They got to find out what they've got in the warehouse. The warehouse only actually ships parts to this store and that store. And so you're jumping around uh, looking for a, you know, a a physical store that can carry the, the thing that you need for your car or truck. Well, guess what? Skip all that. Go to rockauto.com. Hit their website that's easy to use, easy to navigate. They've got hundreds of man- of parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And when you're there, you can put in exactly what you need for your car. The brands, the specifications, and the prices that you prefer for your car or truck. They'll show you what they got, and they'll ship it directly to your door. And best of all, outside of all sort of the hassle of going to a brick-and-mortar store, is the prices. Because there is no special price for mechanics versus the layperson. They're the same for anyone who's shopping. So you will never have to pay twice as much for the same parts. That's not going to happen to you. What's going to happen to you is you're going to find what you need for a reliably low price. Go to rockauto.com right now. And while you're there, make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. 
All right, let's keep it rolling on this Mailbag Monday. The next question comes from Ryan who asks, after watching game two on Monday, I can't help but feel the Blazers were just happy with getting a split. I don't think this is something that only plagues the Blazers, but why don't the Blazers have that killer instinct? We saw it from Dame, but the rest of the team didn't seem to follow his lead. As a team, if they had put more energy and focus into Monday's game, we could be talking about having Denver on the ropes. Where is the once you have a team down, keep them down mentality? Are players just too nice and buddy-buddy than say the 80s and 90s players? Well, I think there's something to the first part. Like I think Dame brought a certain amount of like juice that his his teammates didn't have. I also think Dame is like super special and the difference between superstars and other players is like he's able to tap into something they don't have. He has a skill level and a mentality and a focus that like sets him apart. That's what sets him apart, right? If they were all Dames, if they're all made out of Dame, this would be a very different team. The second part is just um sort of like misplaced nostalgia nonsense um no one's tougher now like just because guys are friends doesn't mean mean uh they're less tough or less competitive uh you're just it, that's that's just some sort of <laughs> that's some sort of uh like you know absence makes the heart grow fonder nonsense from a different time in basketball to wit there are only four times in nba history that a team has come back from losing the first two games at home in the series when the when their foot is on their neck to come back and win a seven game series and both happened in the 90s when the bulls beat the knicks in 1993 and the rockets came back to beat the suns during the 1995 nba playoffs so you're telling me that those guys were tougher and yet they blew a 2-0 lead after winning the first two games on the road to in a seven game series what is that toughness from the 90s it's just nonsense it's all nonsense no one's any tougher or or has a different mentality i don't think the blazers were as sharp or as focused in game two as they could have been i think uh the game they didn't match denver's energy but the idea that like the 1997 blazers would have been more equipped to do so is just misremembering games from 30 years ago that you remember fondly or, or like from your childhood when you think guys were tougher because uh, the rules were different in the NBA. It's, it, it's it's just not true. First part of your question, spot on, Ryan. Second part of your question, you got caught up in toxic nostalgia. Next question comes from Justin Sisney at Justin underscore Sisney on Twitter who asks, can you explain the home court advantage in the playoffs and how a lower seed can, quote, steal home court advantage by winning one of the first two games on the road? Uh, of the series. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's pretty simple math. Right now, the Blazers have games three, four, and six at home. That would be three home games. And the Nuggets uh, have games five and seven remaining at home. So the Blazers have three home games to the Nuggets two. The series is tied 1-1. Thus, the Blazers have stolen home court advantage. Next question comes from Jesse, who asks, Melo has usually usually been pretty solid in the playoffs. He's just run into Kobe and LeBron. And one time he got swept by the uh, by the Celtics with Kevin Garnett at all. Jesse continues, his series with OKC was bad, but that was just a poorly coached team and, he, and not a good mesh. One thing he seems to have done with the Blazers that we haven't seen him do with other teams in the past playoff series is be a willing passer. And he looks like he's really good passing the ball. He's flashy. He's flashy. His passes are hard, crisp, and smart. Is he slash could he be a better, the best passer on the team? Speaking of LeBron, how does he compare as a passer to LeBron? How do you think Melo would be as a point forward? So Jesse, you're my dude. You know that. But I'm sorry I got to do this to you. Is Carmelo Anthony the best passer on the team? No, 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 no. Yeah, it's not close. Damian Lillard is the best passer on the team. The Blazers aren't a very good passing team, uh, but I would say Dame is the best passer, followed by Nurk, followed by Harry Giles, followed by... 
maybe C.J. McCollum, followed by Robert Covington, followed by, I mean, you get the idea here. Uh, Mello has been, is capable of making flashy, crisp passes. I thought in game one, Mello had a couple cross-court passes where where the ball moved quickly, but um, there's, like, capable of making a good pass is a different skill set than being a good passer, and I think that's sort of the the uh, the difference here. Uh, Mello, like, if, if you want to dig deeper into the numbers, Mello's career assist percentage is the percentage of um, percentage of possessions while he's on the court that he finishes with, with, with an assist is 14.8. Compared to LeBron James, that's who has a career 36.6 assist percentage. So like more than a third of his team's possessions, LeBron assists. They're very different players, very different roles, but like they're just not in the same category. Um, The highest of Carmelo Anthony's career came back with the Knicks when he had a assist percentage of 21.1, which is like kind of okay, but it's still the mark of maybe someone who doesn't pass the ball very much. Uh, you think of a, someone like Kevin Durant, who you don't think of as a great playmaker. He's an isolation scorer. He's all that. His career assist percentage higher than Melo's, uh, 19.8. But he's this season on a team that's like super, super ISO heavy. Kevin Durant's uh, assist percentage is 27.7, uh, significantly higher than the best assist percentage season of Melo's career. Melo just couldn't be a point forward. He's capable of making good passes, but he is not a good passer. That is like, it's just not what he is. Next question comes from BlazersJJ at BlazersJJ on Twitter, who asks, what is the right counter to the Nuggets' dominance on the boards this series thus far? JJ, I don't think this is happening. Certainly in the... uh, in game one, the opening six minutes of game one, the Nuggets dominated the offensive glass and it was a problem. Like that was, that was a big deal. But after those first five minutes, first six minutes, the Blazers really ca- calmed down the Nuggets' dominance on the offensive glass. Uh, Nuggets still finished with the really healthy offensive rebound rate of like 27, but they grabbed 80% of their misses to start the game. Like it was, they were just grabbing everything. You know, they had, I think they had six offensive rebounds in the first five minutes and then five in the final 43 in game one. Uh, but in game two, it, that like that just didn't happen. That's not that's like that's not a thing that happened. The Blazers grabbed more raw rebounds. They had a higher percentage of grabbed a higher percentage of available defensive rebounds. They had a higher percentage of available offensive rebounds. Like I don't I, I don't think the the Nuggets are dominating on the glass. Like maybe you could point to some timely rebounds that the Blazers could have grabbed, but like in sort of just like raw dominance, that's I I'm not I'm not sure that that's happening in this series. Next question comes from Scott at ScottPTB30, who asks, when Nurk is off the floor, they, 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 Scott, this is a collective pronoun-based podcast. Do not come at me with this they nonsense. I can say they, you need to say, you need to stay with the bit and say we. I'm going to, I'm going to self-edit on the fly here. When Nurk is off the floor, we might want to just go small and take Cantor out of the rotation completely. It might be better guard Jokic with a smaller guy for short stretches than let the Nuggets put Cantor in pick and roll even once. Bobby at Bobby Van D asked, when Nurk goes out, is it really that crazy to just go small with how ineffective Cantor has been on both sides of the court in this series. And Dave at Dave 6589923 asks, why not try Roko on Jokic when Nurk is out? So I think I'm with all of you, but I'm not quite as, I haven't, I haven't come quite as far as all of you. Like I agree. I think you're on the right track, but I don't think I agree. Uh, I, when, um, when Nurk sits, if 
Jokic is still in the game, I think you have to go Cantor. Uh, Rocco, he'll just shove into a locker. That's the, that's the uh, metaphor I've been using. But he'll just bully. He'll bully little guys. Like even even the couple times that Rocco has been switched on him, he just shoves him down into the paint. Like he's too strong. You can't. That's one of the problems with Jokic. One of the challenges is that you can't really switch. Um, you can't. You can't you can't switch a little guy onto him because he's just he's just too strong and he's he's too good at scoring in sort of contested mid range shots when you put like a smaller guy who's going to get up in his space on him. So I don't uh, Roko not a solution. I'm not with that. Uh, so but I think if Jokic is on the floor and Nurk can't match him minute for minute, which I think that's the preference, but it doesn't always work that way. And uh, you know Michael Malone can get a little creative with when he brings Jokic in and out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think you got to go. I think you got to stay big. I think Cantor and then or, or Nurk and then Cantor. But when Jokic is off the floor and the Nuggets are playing that front line of Paul Millsap and Jamichael Green, no Cantor. There's no reason to play Cantor in those minutes. He's and I said this in the pod yesterday that posted like he's a production guy. Like when Cantor's having a good game, you know it because it's in the box score and he's just a freaking having a dominant you know double double in four minutes or something crazy like that. Like he's a production guy. When he's good, you see it. He hasn't been productive in this game. He's been bad on offense and really bad on defense and if he's not going to bring you that really high level offense that he's brought throughout the season you just got to go small you just you just you got to go small um whether that's uh Derek Jones Jr whether that's Robert Covington and Carmelo Anthony whether that's Ronnie Hollis Jefferson whether it's very surprisingly Nasir Little uh you I think you're better without a traditional center on the court specifically when the Nuggets have no Jokic and the front line is Paul Millsap and Jamichael Green so like I said, I don't think I followed you all the way there in terms of the no canter at all, but no canter if it, no canter against the against the bench units. Like he's just he's not he's not hasn't been effective enough and the Blazers need um the Blazers can put better defensive groups out there and better matchups out there and the playoffs are about matchups. This is a bad matchup for Canter. You got to play him a whole lot less. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show with more of your questions. But first, let's talk about betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Look, there's there is a there's a whole lot of stuff that you could get in on right now at BetOnline. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball's regular season, the WNBA's regular season, UFC and MMA action, horse racing, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So before that next pitch, before the puck drops, before the ball tips, head on over to betonline.ag, get in on the action, and use the promo code LOCKEDON when you're making your first deposit, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on that deposit. That's betonline.ag, the promo code is LOCKEDON, and make sure you use that promo code so you can get 50%, a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar in the market. Uh, a couple of you have actually reached out to me over the last, I don't know, a month or so, three and a half weeks and said, hey, I, I actually bought Built Bars. I listened to all you these ad reads and they're really good. They're really good. I'm not going to name, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to call you out on your protein bar consumption, but several of you via Twitter and via email have said, hey, by the way, I bought some Built Bars and they rock. Uh, and they do. I, I've been telling you about them forever. The best tasting protein bar in the market. And they do rock. Like, I, I, I'm i not lying. Uh, I would read the ad copy regardless because I'm a good guy. But like, these are the best tasting protein bars I've ever had. And the best tasting protein bars you can get. So go get yourself some. BuiltBar.com. The promo code is LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond, 
still listening to Locked on Blazers. We're still cruising through a mailbag Monday on a Thursday. It's actually Wednesday when I'm recording this, but you're probably listening to this on a Thursday or a little bit after. Let's keep it rolling with more questions. This next one comes from Connor, at Connor Gragg on Twitter, who asks, Is there one player currently out of the rotation that you could see playing a significant role in this series, i.e. trying Derek Jones Jr. and Michael Porter Jr., letting Harry Giles throw some fouls on Jokic, etc.? I don't think it's going to be Harry Giles. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's... It's first of all, I don't think fouling Jokic is a good idea. A, 85% free throw shooter. B, putting a team as good as the Nuggets are in the bonus seems like a way to just give up more points, not less. Uh, I understand what you're saying, though. It's like put some different physicality on Jokic. Uh, if I had to guess, yeah, I think it would be Derek Jones Jr. guarding Michael Porter Jr. is, is an option. Um, he certainly seems to be the next guy up. Like, should there be foul trouble or whatever? Um, he, he wasn't he wasn't super awesome in his uh, in his brief cameo in game two, but he's like he. He's a, definitely a useful option should it come to it. I think the the other name that you didn't mention here is Rondé Hells Jefferson. I think if the Blazers go small and commit to going small, maybe putting Rondé on um, on Paul Millsap a little bit could slow him down. I also I also think like. Paul Millsap isn't so good that you need to like have a defensive specialist on there, but like another defender um, who's strong enough to to switch and to rebound and and things like that, like Derek Jones or or excuse me, like Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, as opposed to Derek Jones, who's just like not quite strong enough to guard bigs better against uh, b- better against perimeter players than he is against interior players. I think that could be an option, but I think it's it's either Derek Jones Jr. or Ronnie Hollis Jefferson. If I had to guess, I'll probably lean DJ. I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say no one. I think Terry is like who he is. He's pretty stubborn and locked into what he wants to do. So he's not going to change things up. But if I had to pick someone, I'd probably say DJ and then Rondé Hollis Jefferson. And then like maybe very weirdly Nazir Little, but I, I sincerely doubt it. Next question comes from Jess Bielman at Rev Dr. Beals on Twitter, who asks, Long wings have had some success on Dame, but hardly seemed like his kryptonite. What has his what has he, the team, done in the past to mitigate the impact of long wings on Dame? We got this, right? See, see, uh, Scott, former question asker Scott from the second segment, you that is how you use a collective pronoun. We. Come on. That get it with the bit. Um, yeah, I don't think like Dame is so good that like any individual defender is not going to guard him. So there's not like one, like one long guy, like, okay, well, even like Kawhi Leonard, right? Uh, someone you like perceive to be the best one-on-one defender in the league, like, (laughs) except maybe you've checked the, uh, Clippers, uh, Mavericks scores and, and maybe you think otherwise, but like, um, even even the best perimeter defenders in the league, they're not going to slow Dame down that much. Like it's the 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 NBA rules are such, and Dame is such a good scorer, such a such an elite smart scorer, and such a a like physical gifted scorer that like one guy isn't going to stop him. So it's not it's not the long wings. The ways that the Blazers have. Um, been shut down is double teams, right? It's traps. It's two long guys on Dame. It's it's uh, you know. Andre Iguodala and then Draymond Green or Andre Iguodala and then Klay Thompson or it's Anthony Davis and then Drew Holiday. It's it's multiple guys with length and good defensive instincts on there. Um, it's, you know, it's it's those two guys and then Draymond Green on the back line. It's, it's, um, it's team defenses that shut him down. But the Blazers in theory have, um, have solved that double team problem um, by... 
I mean, they haven't solved it in like a bunch of creative ways. It's like, it's going to be like this, the failing of the coaching staff, right? The thing that like causes them to no longer be the coaching staff is that they really haven't come up with like a bunch of creative ways to solve this, the traps. But in theory, this, this roster is built to solve that, right? You get the ball out of your hands quickly. You get it to Nurk. Nurk gets the ball in the middle of the floor where he has to make good decisions. He has to make good decisions in when to pass. He has to make good decisions in when to attack against the smaller help that's going to come over. Because if you put Nurk in the pick and roll, you got to assume that Jokic is now off, is now not in under the rim. Nurk is by himself. He's the biggest player between him and the basket. In game one, I thought he made really good decisions about when to attack and when to pass. I thought he didn't he didn't bowl little guys over. He didn't he did he took his time and he finished through contact and all those things. Like he was the good Nurk in that game. Uh, but he wasn't as good in game two making those decisions when the traps got even more aggressive. But in theory, it's Nurk making those decisions, and on the wing, he's swinging it to CJ and Norman Powell. And CJ can um while he isn't always super, super quick and super decisive in these decisions, like if he gets an advantage, he's a really good scorer. And and Norm is like in theory that guy, right? Like he's the guy who can get downhill quickly and attack. He can also shoot like he can really make you pay for being on the weak side and having all that you know and and getting yourself into three on four situations uh in theory, like theoretically, the roster is built to handle the traps a little bit better because with those four guys I just named and then the fifth guy is either Carmelo Anthony or Robert Covington, like you have real offense around Dame for the first time in his career, like real options to get the ball out of your hands and let other guys punish the defense. Can they do it? I think we'll see on starting on Thursday night. Next question comes from Brooke, who asks, I was pretty riveted to the first Hawks-Knicks game. Which non-Blazers playoff game have you enjoyed the most? The first weekend, like the, the the collection of game ones over the first weekend of the NBA playoffs were incredible, like really, really, really fun. Uh, I don't I don't remember them starting as well as they did this year. But my, um, I loved that Knicks-Hawks game. Um, uh, Madison Square Garden was electric. Uh, Trey Young was an absolute villain, you know, um, hitting a floater and then yelling, it is so effing quiet in here to a, to the away stadium. Like that is real playoff villain stuff. Now, if you're a Knicks fan, like my homie Peters, who texts me, I'm going to hate Trey Young forever and always, sorry. <laughs> uh, then maybe you don't love Trey Young doing that. But as a, as sort of a NBA agnostic, like I am a neutral, I loved it. Like how fun is that? Uh, that's uh, to like see a playoff villainy happen just, you know, 48 minutes into, into the game. The other one that was awesome was, and I think it's kind of gotten lost was Bucks heat game one, went to overtime and, and Chris Middleton hit a game winner. Uh, you know, maybe it was because it was like the first game of the playoffs and timing and maybe people missed it. Maybe because Chris Middleton and maybe because it wasn't in Madison square garden, et cetera, et cetera. But that game was great. That game was great. Um, then the Bucks came out and housed the Heat in game two. But game one, Bucks heat was incredible. I thought the first game, uh, Jazz Grizzlies was really, really good just because of how fun it was to see an eight seed take down a one seed. Uh, that game was really good. Came down to the final possession. Uh, Jazz had a chance to, to win the game late. But, uh, you know, Grizzlies were down big double digits early. They built a double digit lead. And then the and then the Jazz almost came back from, I believe, down 17, might have been 18, and, and had a chance to win the game in the final seconds. Like, oh, that was a great basketball game. Uh, so and I, I just thought all the game ones pretty much across the board were pretty damn entertaining, even in the sort of the lesser series. Um, I'm looking, I'm looking at you, Eastern Conference. Next question comes from Slow Dancer, Hopeless Romancer, Dopest Flow Stanza at Nick Bjork on Twitter, who asks, I have a theory. The NBA uses Twitter bots to build narratives and create controversy to drive engagement. Am I on to something? Or is NBA Twitter actually full of millions of trolls willing to post the same lame Steph Better or LaFraud take a th- thousands of times? So the question is, does the NBA have bots that stir up controversy 
like inorganically on Twitter. Listen, the NBA has trolls right in front of your face. What do you think Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith are doing? They don't need bots. They don't need to stir anyone up. They don't need to create an algorithm or go on social media. They have these people working at the largest networks, making millions and millions of dollars who barely watch the games and then send out like stupid trolly talking points on video that are shared millions of times and then are absorbed by people. Also, I think the internet just has a culture of trolling um, from my experiences and this makes me feel a little bit older. Uh, it seems like the younger generation, there's kind of like an art to trolling that um, that is that is coming up with with folks who are, you know, teens and, and, and college students now that wasn't necessarily the case just because uh, people who are roughly my age weren't um, exposed to that sort of level of internet so they didn't get to develop that beautiful art of trolling but no the trolls are right in front of you there's no conspiracy theory they're right in front of you they're they work for espn they work for fox sports you can see them next question comes from davy underscore fleming at davy fleming eight who asks in a situation where a player is unable to drive themselves back after a home game say they suffered a concussion or a big injury how do they get their cars back to them are interns driving luxury cars back to west lynn no, the Blazers don't have a lot of like interns running around that are like doing biddings. I, I know that that's like a term that means like lower level employee or not like actual intern. But certainly um, if it was a low level employee, they sure as hell wouldn't give um, you a key to the Bentley and say, get this home. Damien Lord needs it tomorrow. Uh, uh, mostly for the most part, like uh, guys, when guys have folks in at the games, whether that's their literal parents and family or their friends uh you know buddy college buddies current buddies whatever it is like most nba guys like at most at least from the blazers my time around the blazers most most people have you know three four five people come to the games so one of your family members would drive it back if not maybe your representation would like if you suffer like a really serious injury um your agent might you might get home in like a like a you know a uber black or whatever luxury car or or, or the like and then um be and then your agent would have someone representative would have someone take care of your car the next day. Like you, um, you certainly wouldn't just like give it off to like someone who works for the Blazers and say, Hey, can you just drive this back to Dame's house? Like those are, those are sort of separate things, but guys have a lot of family members there. I mean, for the most part, like their family members would figure it out or, uh, the Blazers medical and, and front office staff would coordinate with representation to get home. Like, uh, or like, <laughs> Damien Lillard, his crew, like, because he has his whole family lives in in the Portland area. They roll in a Sprinter van, like they have a driver in a Sprinter van, so they're not driving in a luxury vehicle. They're literally there, like, in a, like a, with a driver who who rolls them back in the Sprinter van. Um, <laughs> so, if, like, specifically for that case, be fine. They already got a driver there waiting for him with like a big old car that can make it happen. Next question comes from Rudy, who asks. You're building a basketball team via expansion draft. Choose one, Cameron Johnson or Anthony Simons. Rudy notes that we all know where uh, Cameron Johnson went to college. Do do we? He went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and he was wonderful there. Uh, then he went, was the 11th overall pick in the NBA draft. Um, I, it kind of depends. Like, I think if you're building an expansion team and you're, you have like a, like a not very good team and you 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 are banking on upside, then I think you go Simons. He's younger and he certainly has like in theory a higher ceiling than Cam Johnson. So I think like con in that context, I think it's Ant and I think it's Ant 10 times out of 10. If you're building like a, like if you want to win a, if you want to win game three against the Nuggets, you're going to pick Cameron Johnson. 
He's bigger. He can shoot. Like he's just he's better at basketball today. He's probably really close to his ceiling right now as a basketball player. Um, but he's he's uh, like he guarded LeBron James in game two. Like he's he's um, he's just he's just way 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 better than Anthony Simons. Next question comes from Portland Hoops at PNW Sports five hundred three, who asks, "How much do you do we have to add to CJ to turn him into Paul George? Two firsts and a swap." KC at game with Mastrim. I might be I might be missing that one, so help me out, KC, if I am. But game at game with Mastrim on Twitter asks, I would love to see a trade around CJ and Ben Simmons. I think it would help both teams. Question is, how much would do we have to throw in to make the 76ers say yes? Listen, I have a wonderful CJ trade show queued up. I've I've done some I've done some sort of preliminary research asking people around the league about it. I've I've um I've kind of made little lists. I've, 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 I've thought about this a lot. But frankly, I don't want to do this shit during the playoffs. I don't want to do fake trades right now. This is the most fun time of the year, y'all. It, like, this is, the, this is the best basketball you're going to get. The highest stakes, most important basketball you're going to get. And I know that people get excited about trades. I know. That's why I'm already prepared for the CJ show in the future. And it'll come here. And I'll answer these two questions specifically when we get there. There's going to be a there's going to be a long offseason. If the Blazers win the damn championship, there's going to be a long offseason. Uh, if they don't win the championship, there's going to be even longer offseason. There'll be plenty to talk about trades and rosters and stuff right now. But I don't want to do this now, y'all. I don't, I don't particularly care for, for fake trades period. It's not, it's just not my, not my thing. I know, I know people get hyped up about it. I know it's for some people, the most interesting and and exciting thing about the team is how can you improve this? And how can, how, how can you move the pieces around? I even know some people in the Blazers media space who are already cooking up, uh, CJ Paul George trades today before game three, but that's not me. That is, that is, that is not for your boy. I love the NBA too much to pass on the actual games right now. I'm excited about the game on Thursday night when the Blazers have a chance to take a 2-1 lead over a team that is increasingly becoming a rival, a game that had got pretty chippy in game two and likely will be physical and chippy in game three as a, a real NBA rivalry developing between, like right here on two teams that are, are relatively even and have met in the playoffs in the past and could very well meet again in the future. Uh, a Nuggets team that made the Western Conference Finals and is trying to kind of get back there despite a ton of injuries and a Blazers team that had a down year last year after making the Western Conference finals is trying to prove that that year wasn't a fluke and that they belong back in that conversation among the good teams. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the Nuggets still not having Will Barton and PJ Dozier and how they can piece it all together with Austin Rivers and Shaq Harrison and Faku Campazo. Like, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see Norm bounce back from some, he seemed pretty dejected after game two and see CJ be more aggressive and see if Dame can build on one of the great tr- shooting, great shooting performances we've ever seen in the first half of game two. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the basketball. I'm going to pass on fake trades for now. We'll get to them. We'll get, I promise. Give us like like 3 weeks. We'll probably be in the off season. Maybe a month if things go right. We'll get there. But for now, let's be excited about the 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 game on the court, the product, the next two games at home with 8,000 fans in Moda Center. It's going to be a ton of fun. Let's let, this is my, I've been saying it all year. Let's like, I want to meditate on joy and, 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 you know, stay in these moments because life has been so challenging over the last year. And that if you got, if you have these, you know, if you don't hold on to the fun moments, you, you know, they'll just, when the bad moments inevitably come back, then you'll, you'll be crushed. Like, but this is it. Let's not look ahead to the, let's, let's, let's hold on tightly to the beauty of playoff basketball and not look ahead to trading and roster construction, and all that. We'll get there. 
And when we get there, I'll dive deep. I'm ready to dive deep. I'll do it. But for now, let's let's cling tightly to this moment, to the now. The now is so fun. Playoff basketball is so fun. Let's all enjoy it as, mu- as much as we possibly can. That's going to do it for this show. The next time I talk to you, the Blazers will have played game three. Uh, I'm going to be in the building for that one, which I'm very excited about. So I will bring you a report from what I saw inside the Mode Center. Scenes from Game 3 posting in your feed on Friday. If you want to get involved in a future Mailbag Monday, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter or LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com are the two ways to get at me. I really appreciate you listening. Even if I went on a fake trade rant, even if I did, it's just because I'm fired up because I love playoff basketball and I want you to love it too and I want you to stay in the moment with me. Enjoy these special times. There's 10 weeks of playoff basketball and then my, probably my favorite time of the year. In any case... I appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.